Well, it's great to be together this morning and to, uh, to worship, to sing, and to read the scriptures together. This morning I'm going to be preaching from 1 Peter chapter 1 and uh, the first 13 verses, focusing mostly on the first few verses uh, and then on, on verse 13. But before we, <clears throat> before we do that, let's come to the Lord in prayer and uh, let's ask for the leading of the Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, we come this morning to you and we, we uh, uh, bring our hearts lowly before you. Lord, we soften our hearts before you to hear the word of God. Lord, we recognize that you are a great and mighty God who has come to us with such a great salvation, Lord, that it only can cause us to rejoice and be in wonder and awe of you. Lord, as we hear the word this preached this morning, um, Lord, I pray that uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, it would resonate. Lord, it would change us. Lord, it would mold us and shape us to be more and more like Christ. Lord, we thank you for the great work of salvation that you've done. And Lord, we just thank you that you are here this morning with us, guiding us, leading us, and keeping us in all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, I want to uh, open up scriptures of First Peter. Um, First Peter, Peter is preaching or writing this, uh, this letter to a church in, in Asia. Uh, he's, he's writing to believers in Jesus Christ, uh, living in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And this is the area where Peter is writing these letters. The church is what is now known today as Turkey, um, along the southern uh, border of the Black Sea, uh, heading down uh, south. Uh, and the church has been established there. These Christians that Peter's writing to are mostly Gentile brothers and sisters um, uh, that are receiving this letter. In other words, what Peter is writing to is these believers in Jesus Christ were not necessarily familiar with the ancient customs and faith of the Jews. These people had come to know Jesus Christ through the preaching of the gospel. Uh, and for them, it was all new. And many of these people, many of these uh, believers, in, had tur were turning from an ancient paganism, a social paganism uh, that was prevalent at that time, uh, mostly due to the influence of the Roman Empire. And the religion of the day was a social religion. In other words, it was a religion that everyone kind of bought into. Uh, it was deeply rooted in paganism. Um, it certainly wasn't had any, any resemblance of what the Christian gospel is. And these were people that, in hearing the word of the Lord and responding to the word of the Lord, had come to believing faith in Jesus Christ. And in doing so, they turned their back on the social religion of that day. Many of these believers were uh, cast out of their families. They were cast out from their communities. Uh, many of them uh, may have lost their jobs. They would have lost their social status. Uh, and many of them had to flee their homes in exile. Uh, they became wanderers uh, and wandering uh, around from their familiar homes or even their families. These Gentile believers had come to the saving grace of Jesus Christ and in doing so had created a fair amount of hardship in their lives. They were persecuted and they were persecuted for their faith. They were persecuted for what they believed in, their stand. They had rejected the pagan religion of the Roman Empire. They had, re they had, um, they had rejected the pagan gods that they, they, maybe their fathers and grandfathers and grandmothers uh, had followed and believed in. They had, they had turned their back on 
the appeasement of paganism, that paganism is built on the, on the whole understanding that in order to be protected from angry gods, one must appease these gods. And they found a new message in the hope of Jesus Christ that instead of appeasing God, God comes to them not as an angry God, but full of love and full of grace and full of kindness. And these words had echoed into their hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit, and they had received this new message of the goodness and the grace of God. And so that's a bit of a background of, of to the community to whom Peter is writing, um, and he's establishing, wanting them to be established and rooted in who God is. And if you look at the first Peter and you read the entire book, you, it doesn't take long to figure out what Peter is actually wanting them to, to hold fast to. And what Peter is really asking them to do is hold fast to the sovereignty of God. He's asking them to, to really hold fast to the understanding that God is in control of everything, even in spite of the persecutions and the hardships that they're facing. And so Peter is writing to this church. And the very fact that he's writing to this church suggests that these people, these believers in Christ, were beginning to, to, to doubt they were beginning to turn away from that faith and that good news of Jesus Christ. Their hardships were beginning to weigh on them. The loneliness maybe that some of them were feeling or experiencing. And they're asking themselves, is this God worthy to be worshipped and to be followed and to, 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 to give our lives to? We're enduring such hardships. How can this be real? And Peter's writing to these believers to encourage them. He's got a mission. He's got a purpose. He's got a, an agenda. He's not just writing cozy words. He's writing with a specific mission in mind to encourage the church, to encourage it to believe and trust in the goodness and the grace and the mercy and the kindness of Jesus Christ. He's encouraging them to, to hold fast to the gospel that they had heard. And so Peter's writing to, the, to this church. And so in verse 1 and 2, we read that these believers are described by Peter as elect exiles of the dispersion according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Isn't it credible, I think, as I began to ponder this and, and sit and ponder this, the, the, this passage, that Peter doesn't, doesn't mix words. He doesn't go through a long expose and then get to his point. Right off the bat, Peter comes out with a salvo. He comes out with two salvos, actually. So as we ponder this for a moment, let's look at these two salvos. Getting straight to the issue of hand, less than two verses into the letter, Peter fires two salvos at the problem of doubt and belief and replacing these negatives with grace-filled hope and faith in Jesus Christ. The first salvo that Peter fires at the church there is he's describing them as elect exiles. Peter doesn't just describe these, these believers as exiles. He calls them elect exiles. He's moving beyond the word exiles and qualifying these believers, these exiles, as elect exiles. Now that's really important for us to understand because Peter is wanting them to trust in the sovereignty of God. He uses the word elect because behind the word elect is someone who is doing the electing. There's someone who is doing the work of electing, choosing people. We could replace the uh, word elect with choosing. They're chosen exiles. And Peter is wanting to, 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 for them to understand that God is not outside, standing outside of their suffering. 
God is not unaware of the suffering that they are enduring. God is very familiar with their, their sufferings. He, he sees and he's witnessing what is happening. And so Peter pointedly and with great purpose and great emphasis calls them elect. He's wanting to establish right off the bat that these are not just this is, these exiles are not just enduring hardship by happenstance. They are enduring hardship because of their faith in Jesus Christ, and they're enduring these hardship under the full knowledge of God himself. Now, if we ponder that for a moment, that flies in the face of a lot of the message of Christianity that we hear today that says, come to Jesus and everything will be well. Everything will be good. This flies straight in the face of another gospel, but it is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because of their faith, because of their turning away from the pagan gods, these believers are enduring great hardship, great persecution. And even in the face of rising doubt, Peter says, don't lose heart. The Father of heaven sees all that you are enduring. And so he says to them, they're elect exiles. They're chosen by God. The second salvo Peter fires at the doubt reinforces this truth that God's hand is upon these precious saints with these words, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling of his blood. If there ever was of two verses that need to regularly visit by the church universal today, it's got to be these two verses. These two verses are flowing with truths and dripping with the lavish grace of God towards the saints of God. These words are meant to encourage and embolden our faith in Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. These Christians, the Christians' difficult wanderings and sufferings in life are not just hazards we unfortunately stumble upon. They are known by God. They are used by God towards us as a means of his grace working within us. Peter is telling us to look upon the trials of this life this way. Trials cause us to cast ourselves upon God. And in this casting upon God, God, rich in mercy and love, casts himself upon us. That's incredible, isn't it? This is an incredible story. That even in the midst of suffering and trials and pain and persecution, as we cast ourselves upon God, it is by grace and mercy that God himself comes to us and casts himself upon us by giving us strength and mercy and forgiveness and grace. And not just a little bit. He lavishes it upon us. And so we can sum up these two verses if we turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. We can sum up what Peter is trying to say, which reinforces the central theme that Peter is trying to communicate. 1 Peter 4, 19 says this, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Savior while doing good. Peter is calling the church, he's calling us, the Holy Spirit is calling us to read these verses, to read these words, not just reading it for the sake of reading it. He's calling us to take the goodness and the grace, to harvest 
these words for our souls to bountiful, bountifully take what God has given to us that we can strengthen our hearts and strengthen our souls and strengthen our minds in the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. But we have a problem, don't we? If we turn down to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, or verse 12 and 13, we read these verses. May the grace and peace be multiplied to you. Therefore, preparing your mind for actions and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When someone calls me for work and is asking me to build a kitchen or a set of stairs, the reason they are calling me is that they have a problem. Either there is a lack of a kitchen or lack of a stairs, or worse yet, what they have is broken and in need of repair or replacing. In verse 13, Peter is identifying a problem with humanity, and the problem with, human and the problem with humanity is that humanity is weak, and feeble and can easily fall into doubt and despair or even worse, depression. Even the strongest among us in mind and body are only one breath away from trouble. A phone call can change everything in life. I've experienced that. 2008, I got a phone call. My older brother Dick had a brain aneurysm and two days later he died. That phone call changed everything for me. A hateful word. A misplaced statement, expectations not being met, and a host of other things can quickly shift our thinking into a downward spiral. Aside from persecutions because of our faith, there's financial trouble, broken promises, relational breakdown, and these are constant hazards in our lives. Sickness and health issues are real issues, let alone facing the persecutions and the rejection for our faith. And so Peter, writing the words of verse 13, he's saying, Therefore, prepare your hearts and be sober-minded. The purpose that he's writing this is because there's a problem. If there was no problem, Peter would have just simply ended at verse 12 with the words of, of verses 1 through 12 and just ended, therefore, this, therefore, knowing all this, have a great life, see you in heaven, love Peter. But Peter doesn't do that, does he? He moves on to verse 13. And verse 13 is a call to action. And the reason there's a call to action is because there's a problem. Because we're feeble and weak. Humanity is feeble and weak. In the hardships of life, and I'm not blaming anyone, I've experienced myself, in the hardship of life, sometimes and many times, we can lose our focus. We can get our eyes turned away from Jesus. We get our eyes turned away from the, from the God who loves us and cares for us and that beautiful message that we heard for the first time that there's a God that's full of love and full of mercy and full of kindness and a day when it excited my heart and excited me and then the pressures of life come in and I begin to fall away from the beauty of the gospel. You see, the church there was falling away, wasn't it? They had begun the good fight. They had heard the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They had turned their backs on the pagan religion. And because of that, persecution and hardship became the familiar talk of the day. Life can do that, can't it? Because we're weak and feeble. When man fell into sin, 
It was recorded in the first part of, of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 3, when mankind turned its back on God. Mankind came under a curse. All of creation came under a curse. And this curse that we came un, under, as man turned his heart away from God and to himself, has created a lot of difficulties in this life. We became selfish. We became free thinkers. We became isolated. We became arrogant and prideful. We became men of our own doing, thinking we were invincible, only to find out that we're not. We're not any of those things. Oh, we're prideful. And so Peter is turning the church and he's saying, look, church. He's saying, therefore, be sober-minded. He's saying, prepare your mind for action. Set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter is using verse 13 to identify a problem. He's calling the church to action. He's calling the church to, 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 to look at, to examine, to ponder, to take the time to ponder the problems that we're facing in the light of the sovereignty of God. And so instead of ending at verse 12 with, therefore, knowing all this, have a great life, Peter moves on to verse 13. He says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter is calling the church to, 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 to action. He's calling the church to wake up. He's calling us, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart at the circumstances of life. Look to Jesus Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Cast your eyes upon the, the one who came and suffered and died and bled for your sake that you could have life and that you could have life in, the, in abundance even in the face of great hardship. So this morning, God is inviting us to take the time to ponder the gospel message of Jesus Christ. There's an invitation to walk into hope, into the hope of Jesus Christ, which confronts head-on the unbelief, doubt, and despair that so easily can entrap us in this life. In the story we read this morning from Daniel 3, we read about a real-life moment in the lives of three young men standing before King Nebuchadnezzar. Let's not dismiss the complexity of what these three young men did. Here were three young men who did not bow the knee to King Nebuchadnezzar while the throngs of thousands upon thousands on hearing the trumpet and the music playing fell to the knees fell to their knees and worshiped the social religion of the day King Nebuchadnezzar himself these three men it was recorded were only the only three upon thousands upon thousands who did not bow the knee when the music played and because of this, because of their belief, because of their standing strong for God himself, it created an awful big problem for them, didn't it? These three men were hauled up before the king himself. Now that in itself is quite amazing, let alone the words that came from their mouths. Think about that for a minute. The most powerful king of that day on earth, King Nebuchadnezzar, all of the force of Babylon all of the fiery furnace, they could smell the smoke, they could see the flames, they could feel the heat. And these three men, in their courage and strength, walked up before the king and stood before the king, the most powerful king of that day. They were not going to be influenced by the king. And there on that stand, the king says to them, 
Who's going to protect you? I'll give you one last chance. You can bow your, your knee to me now and you, can, you, can, you don't have to worry about the fiery furnace. And these three men stood strong in the face of great tragedy, in the face of great hurt and pain and persecution. They said to the king, we will not bow to you. Our God will protect us. Their, their faith and their trust in the living God was more important to them than any fiery furnace, than anything that the king could throw at them. Even if their lives were burnt, it didn't matter. Their faith was in the living God. These three young men's faith in God and his solution to the problems they were facing, namely the king and the deadly face, the deadly furnace, was based on real facts, real events, and real evidence. They stood strong on the integrity of God himself, the total sovereignty of God over all the affairs of life. And so in Daniel 3, verse 16, we read this. At verse 16, we read this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Set up. The response tells it everything, doesn't it? Occupying these, the minds of these men was not the threat of the trouble in front of them. Instead, what occupied the minds of these men was God himself, the king of all eternity. Though, may, though they may not have understood about Jesus Christ at that point, they were in fact being held by the Savior, Jesus Christ himself. To be honest, in, my, in all my years, 57, almost 58 years, I've come to realize that the solutions to my greatest struggles are not trying harder or doing better or even pulling up my bootstraps. It's when I've taken the time to ponder, God, to ponder God himself and the majesty of Jesus Christ through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit upon the truths of Scripture. It is there that I have discovered my, own, my most anxious moments, though very real, become smaller and manageable in the presence of the King of all eternity. So this is what Peter's calling the church to. He's calling the church to ponder, to take the time in the busyness of life to stop and to ponder God himself. He's calling the church. He's calling us. He's been calling the church throughout the ages. The Holy Spirit is calling the church throughout the ages, though in face of great trouble and hardships and disappointments. He's calling us to take the time to ponder God himself. To look upon Jesus Christ and the promises and the track record of Jesus Christ. His faithfulness, his covenant faithfulness. Not just his faithfulness, his covenant faithfulness. A God who makes covenant and keeps covenant on our behalf. This covenant-keeping God, Jesus is calling us, the Holy Spirit is calling us to ponder and reflect and to look upon the majesty of Christ himself and there find the peace in the, in the, in the, the um, antidote to anxiety and the anxious moments that all of us face. It is in the presence of the King of all eternity. 
And so in 1 Peter, Peter says this, let your minds, or he's basically saying this, let your minds be occupied with the text. Let your minds be occupied with the words of Scripture and ponder the goodness and the mercy of Christ towards us. All of this will, will satisfy and set, it will satisfy that, 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 that anxiety and that, that, that mindset within us that often leads us astray and placing our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I've had to do this for my life. Many of you know part of our story in these last four years have not been easy for us, for Janet and I. At times I've doubted and wondered, am I truly even saved? Sometimes I wondered, what, what did, what, what has all this happened to us? And I found the answers not in looking inside here. I found the answers looking in here and reading the truths of Scripture that are given to us as grace and mercy, lavish grace and lavish mercy. It's reading these words of First Peter, starting at verse 3. It says there, Peter goes on from verse 1 and 2, and he says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's verses like this where it's speaking about the grace and the mercy and the kindness of God. He's called us to inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven, for you, whom by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have grieved by various trials, so that the tested, genuine testedness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes through fire, may be found to result into the praise and the glory and the honor of the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's these words that the church needs to come and rest its heart upon. Though we face trials, though we face disappointments, and those, those trials and disappointments can come from various means and various uh, directions, God is calling us to pick up this word and open passages like First Peter. Ponder and reflect. Set our, set our minds at ease through the promises and the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. This is what Peter is wanting the church in that area to recognize and to understand. He's calling the church back to dwell upon the, the grace and the mercy, the sovereignty of God. See, God is trustworthy. Where we are untrustworthy, God is trustworthy. If we look back at the track record of God, we will see that throughout history, what God promises, God delivers. What God says, He acts upon. God is not a God who just gives words and then moves on to something else. All that God promises, He has delivered. God's track record is 100% pure and holy and so what Peter is calling the church, he's calling us today, is to trust and obey. It simply comes down to that. God's invitation is simply this. Trust in Christ so that you can, you can obey Christ even in the face of imminent tribulations. 
And so this morning for you and for I, God is calling us to himself. He's not calling us to a program. He's not calling us to self-help books. He's calling us to himself. He's saying, look at me. Ponder for a moment who I am. Reflect on the majesty and the wonder of the person of Jesus Christ. For grace comes to us in a person. Grace comes to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Mercy comes to us in a Savior who is fully God and fully man. He comes with full understanding. He comes with power and he comes with might. And he comes with a message of hope. A hope in the promises that God one day, even in the spite of all of the hardships of life, one day all of that will be gone. And we will spend eternity with this gracious, merciful, and loving God, looking upon the majesty of who he is, among the splendor of goodness. We will discover that day what is truly good, for we will look upon goodness itself, the person of Jesus Christ who willingly went to the cross and died so that we could have life and we could have it in abundance. That's what Peter is asking the church today. He's saying, prepare your minds for action. He says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Look at Christ himself. Look at God himself. Discover the greatness and the beauty of Jesus Christ. And there you will find the hope and the courage and the strength to keep moving forward, to keep believing, even in the face of great trial, even in the face of great anxiety. And so my prayer, our prayer this morning, is that you take this time, take the time. I've had to do it for myself. There were times I didn't feel like picking up this word. There were times when I, in the past four years, where I looked at this and thought, what use is this? And yet, I couldn't get away from it. I had to find the hope that God is offering, and I found it in the person of Jesus Christ. And so that's this morning is my prayer for us as a church, for Redemption Church, as we move forward, is that we will be a church that in everything we do, our hope and our faith will be firmly rooted on the person of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. I thank you, Lord, for the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ that will be revealed to us, that has been revealed to us, that will be revealed to us. Lord, as we look at this passage and we find these incredible words dripping with grace and mercy of kindness and love, that we are elect exiles, but more than that, Lord, we are elect exiles according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Lord, this is an incredible, incredible message. Lord, this is an incredible story. These are incredible words. So, Lord, I pray this morning that as a church, Lord, we will find the hope. We will find the grace as we read and ponder the person of Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, Savior and friend, Lord and King, companion and great counselor, Lord, there we will find the hope 
of the promise of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.